Thank you for joining us for another life-giving message from Converge Church, now in progress. Come on, Converge Nation. Let's welcome our amazing online audience joining us from around Texas and around the world. We're so glad you're here with us this morning. Listen, Converge, we celebrate all that God is doing here at Converge Church. We're now one church, two locations. We have uh, our uh, Converge Live campus right here at the Angelica Film Center. And then uh, we also celebrate everyone joining us online. Today is week five of our Miracles series. We're walking through uh, the narrative in Genesis and we're discovering the pattern of God. Uh, we believe that everything that God does is intentional and deliberate. None of it is random or haphazard. And so we can examine, uh, if you're using hermeneutics and the principle of first mention, uh, then we can examine what God did in the beginning at the genesis of all things and discover God's pattern, not only in the beginning, but throughout all of what God has done in his historic interaction with humanity. So we have been discovering some lessons in the pattern of God, God's interaction with humanity, and we skipped over day five last week and we went to week six. Listen, I've been getting amazing feedback from last week's message, Can You Handle the Truth? How many are embracing the truth tellers in their lives right now? Come on, somebody. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of a moonwalk. We're going to do a little bit of a, of a, of a um, uh, we're going to go back to day five uh, from day six, and we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter one, and we'll begin reading at verse number 20. If you're following along uh, in your Bible, uh, turn with me to verse number 20, and uh, you can also uh, follow along on the screens. The notes will be on the screens. Again, this is day five of the creation process. Say this with me, understand the plan, follow the pattern, receive the promise. All right, we're going to try that one more time with conviction. All right, here it is. Understand the plan. That means recognize that God has a plan for your life. That there is absolutely nothing about who you are that was an afterthought. There's nothing about who you are that caught God by surprise. That means that God had a plan for you long before anyone had an opinion about you. And that's why Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5 says, even before you were formed in your mother's womb, I ordained you, dot, dot, dot. That's why Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 says that you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance that you and I should walk in. There is nothing. Absolutely nothing about who you are that is accidental or coincidental. The hand of God has been upon you and has been guiding you even when you didn't realize it. Every step of the way, in every decision, God was right there with you. Even when you didn't know it. Even when you didn't recognize it, he was always there. In fact, one writer has said that coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. 
and there have been some moments when God has chosen anonymity in your life. Baby, you thought it was you. You thought it was how smart you were. You thought it was the family into which you were born. You thought it was your education. You thought it was your skill set and your gift mix. But God just said, come on, baby. My signature is all over that. So this morning, as we look to the text, I want you to recognize that God has a plan. And he wants you and I to understand his plan for your life. Because he decided it a long time ago. So we understand the plan. Number two, we follow the pattern. Because God is a God of patterns. Our God is a God of blueprints. Our God is a God of design. That if everything in creation makes sense and works with such precision, if the design is perfect, it infers the work of a designer. God is a God of patterns. And so he wants us to follow the pattern that he established. And one of the places we see it is in creation. So we understand that God has a plan. We follow God's pattern. Listen, here's the part where we get excited. We receive the promise. We receive the promise. And that's really where we're going to spend the lion's share of our time over the next several weeks beginning today. God wants us to receive the promise. He wants us to receive the promise. And let me just... Let me just say right here, right now, God's promise to you and me. Y'all ready for it? These are the words of Jesus. These are the words in red. When God thinks of you, when God considers you, this is his promise to you. Jesus said it this way, John chapter 10 and verse number 10, familiar verse of scripture. He said, the thief, speaking of Satan comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He's talking about the enemy of our souls. He's talking about the work of our adversary, Satan, against us. He comes for three reasons, to steal your joy, to kill your dreams, and to destroy your credibility. Now, let me tell you why that matters. When the enemy comes to steal your joy, it's important because in Nehemiah, the scripture says that the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's the fuel that's going to keep you going in the midst of opposition and resistance. And the, most, the reason most of us quit prematurely is because we're running on empty and we're running on fumes and it's because we've lost the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. And sometimes the enemy doesn't want to take you out. He'll just steal your joy. He'll cre create enough confusion and havoc and disappointment in your life that you lose your joy. And in the process, many lose their reason and their desire to live. And it is a weapon of the enemy to steal our joy. Hmm? What's the second thing I said? He said it comes to kill what? Kill our dreams. 
Thank you, Lord Jesus. Mm. Should I go down that road, Damon? Thank you, Lord Jesus. There are, there are dream stealers. There are dream stealers and dream killers that you and I will wrestle with on the road to receiving the promise. There's a young man who's only 17 years old, Byron, who has what? A dream. And his dream is a dream of greatness. In fact, the dream suggests at 17 years old, when he has the dream, that his brothers are going to bow to him. Not only are his brothers going to bow down to him, but even his mother and father will also bow down to him. This is a dream that he will live an exalted and an, uh, a successful life. But how many of you realize that just because you have a dream doesn't necessarily mean the dream is ready? Just because you have a dream doesn't even necessarily mean that you're ready for the dream. That God has to build you and he has to grow you. He has to give you the capacity to steward the dream. And in his immaturity, he begins to announce to his brothers, by the way, who hated him, all of y'all going to bow down to me. Let me tell you, sign number one, that you ain't ready for the dream. You don't recognize your audience. He entrusted the dream to people who despised him. And may I say to you that on your road, your journey to receiving the promise, there are some who are going to hear the dream and despise it. So be selective. <laughs> be selective about who you share your dream with. Not everybody is worthy of it and not everybody can handle it. Listen to me. There are other people who will just dismiss it. That's just Ray. That's just that dreamer. Yeah, he goes again, dreaming a big dream. And when we entrust the dream to the wrong people, you will deal with people who will dismiss it. You will deal with people who will despise it. And there will be people like your own family, Joseph, who will try to destroy you because of the dream. Because they think that if I can destroy you, the dream will die with me. So what do they do? They put you in a pit. Are y'all listening to what I'm saying? All of it is the work of the enemy. He comes to steal. He comes to kill. He comes to kill the dream. And how does he do it? By surrounding you with people who will dismiss it, who will despise it, and who will do everything in their power to destroy you. Because in destroying you, they believe the dream will die with you. Anybody ever deal with any dream killers? Let this be a, a, a word of caution to you. You want to, here it is. If you want to be effective, you've got to be more selective. Silence, silence when it comes to the dream is golden. Because there is an adversary who will do everything within his power to kill the dream. And guess what? He uses people 
to do it. And sometimes it's the people closest to you, like Joseph's own family. I'm going somewhere with this. Uh, he comes to steal. He comes to kill, but he also comes to what? Destroy. Listen, listen, listen. One of the, the most cruel, I want you to hear this, one of the most cruel devices of the enemy. And that's what the scripture says, we are not ignorant of the devil's devices, his strategies, his methods. We are, don't be ignorant of how the enemy works. And I'm, I'm going to get to the promise, but this is the caution. Jesus said, the thief comes not but for to steal, kill, and to destroy. What does he destroy? Listen to me. Listen to me. I want you to hear this. The enemy comes to destroy your credibility. Without credibility, all you are is a dead man walking. Doesn't matter how gifted you are. Doesn't matter how talented you are. If you ain't got no credibility, and what the enemy uses, Doc, is he uses bad decisions, bad choices, that even though you are forgiven for them, the consequences. I'm talking about when you try to shake your history and it keeps coming up. Because no matter where you go, your reputation is going to precede you and it's going to follow you. Your decisions and your choices will precede you and it's going to follow you. You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? I'm just talking, let me give you an example about decisions preceding you. Bad financial decisions precede you. When you try to buy that house or buy that car, your FICO score already there before you even show up. Your bad decisions, your credibility is already affecting what you can and cannot have. Yeah, I know you were mad on your last job, and you say, I just speak my mind. But guess who the recruiter called after your interview? Your reputation followed you to your next season. And if the enemy doesn't want to kill your dream, if he can't succeed in stealing your joy, what he's going to go after is your credibility. So that no one, no one even wants to touch you. Can I trust this person? Are y'all listening to what I'm saying? That's what Jesus says the enemy does. John chapter 10 and verse 10. Oh my goodness. But listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life. And that you might have it more abundantly. When we talk about receiving the promise here at Converge Church. That is what Jesus offers, abundant life. Now, let me tell you what that word abundant life means when it's translated. It's the word zoe, and the word zoe means life as God has it. It's not speaking singularly about eternal life. It's also speaking about quality of life. For the longest time, the church has done Christ followers a disservice because the the church has only uh, prepared us for the hereafter. And when we think about 
what the Bible says about how we should live, we just say, oh, one day in the sweet by and by, we're going to walk on streets that's paved with gold. And we'll study war no more. But what about the brutal, bitter here and now? How are we supposed to live? How are we supposed to navigate this life if all we do is dream about heaven? What are we supposed to do with the 70, 80, 90, 120 years if God is gracious? We're just supposed to bide time and just go through life? No, the devil is a liar. The devil wants to convince you to settle for mediocrity, for an ordinary life. When Jesus said he came, bled, and died so that you and I can experience life on earth as God has it. Zoe. Now look at what it says in the Amplified. Do you have the Amplified? Can you put John 10 and verse 10 in the Amplified version on the screens? I even get to my text yet. But that's what Jesus came for. Under, say it with me again. Understand the plan. Follow the pattern. Receive the promise. What is God's promise for you? What's God's promise for me? For my family. For my marriage. For my children. For my enterprise. Is this the Amplified? Here it is. The thief comes only. Somebody say only. In order to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus said, I came that they, you, may have life. Listen, and may have and, in, listen, pump, pump the brakes. That you would not only have life, but that you would enjoy it. Because life is not a journey that God gives us so that we can simply endure it. He gives us life so that we can enjoy it. That's what Jesus said. And so the Lord wants us to receive the promise, a life that we enjoy, not a life we endure. Are y'all with me? Notice what he says next. And to have it in abundance, to the full, until it overflows. If right now you're living and walking on empty, there's something missing of the promise of God in your life. If right now in this room you say, I follow Jesus, Jesus lives in my heart, and it feels like you are depleted, you're not receiving the promise. And it's not to be critical or judgmental. What God wants us to do is raise our expectation of what is possible for me. Do you hear that? God this morning wants you to raise your expectation of what is possible for you. And what is possible for you is to have life and enjoy it and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. Somebody say abundance. That's God's plan for your life. And we see it. We see it. We see it. In Genesis chapter 1, on day 5 of creation, because God is establishing a pattern for us to follow in our lives. So Genesis chapter 1, beginning at verse 20. Are you there? Almost. Come on, somebody. I'll read it and you'll catch up. It says, let the waters do what? Not there yet, okay. Let the waters abound. 
let the waters, one translation, let's do New King James because that's what I'm reading from. But the King James says, let the waters bring forth what? Abundantly. Let the waters bring forth abundantly. In the New King James, it says, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures. Not just a few here, not just a few there. And let the birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters, what? Abounded. He didn't just put a few fish here, a few fish there. Those words appear in the text to reveal God's nature and his character to us. He is a God of abundance. He is a God of sufficiency. And this is what he's establishing in Genesis 5. He is a God of sufficiency and a God of supply. I'll say that again. He is a God of sufficiency and a God of supply. He said, let the waters abound with an abundance of creatures. Okay. Uh, so, 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 so then he says, and God blessed them. The word bless in this text means empowered to prosper. Empowered to prosper. Now let me tell you what the word prosper means. Let me give you a biblical definition of it. It doesn't mean that everybody going to drive around in a Rolls Royce with a pinky ring. That's not what the word means. It doesn't mean that just because you're a Christian, you're going to be a billionaire. That's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, that is heresy. The word blessed there means empowered to prosper. But even more literally, more literally, it means to have success on your journey. The biblical definition of prosperity and blessing is that God gives us success on our journey. So whatever journey you're on, God promises that you will have everything you need for that journey. That's what he's saying. And we have reduced, thank you baby, sweating. I know I had a handkerchief somewhere. Thank you baby. It's floral. I love it. Come on, somebody. And it's got some, what's it called, this thing on there? Ridges on the hem. Huh? Huh? Oh, it's scalloped. Come on, man. I got a scalloped handkerchief. Come on, somebody. I love it, baby. Thank you. What was I talking about again? Bless. Empower to prosper. Are y'all with me? God wants to give you success on your journey. That means whatever he calls you to, he wants you to have success and be fruitful on your journey. That's what it means. And notice, he blessed them. He blessed them. He blessed them. And this is here. Here it is. And he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters. Again, everything in this text is superlatives. All right? That's just a fancy grammatical term that means good, there's good, there's better, there's best. But at creation, God did not traffic in good. 
He didn't traffic in better. He traffics in best. It's superlative. Superlative. Notice what he said. He said, fill. He said, fill the earth. He says, fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. So on the fifth day, this is what God is establishing. God is establishing himself as a God of sufficiency and supply. That's why he reveals himself as El Shaddai. The God who is what? More than enough. I'm not trying to be crude or crass, but literally in the Hebrew dial, it means the many-breasted one. You know what that means? The picture is of a nursing mother who has more than enough supply for all of her children. More than enough. And God establishes in Genesis that he is a God of abundance. Not just a God of just enough. Listen, that's what God delivered the Israelites from. For 420 years they were in Egypt, the land of not enough. 420 years. And according to John chapter 10 and verse 10, that's not God's best for his children. Not enough. That's not God's best. So God brings them out of bondage, 420 years of bondage, and then he brings them into the wilderness where he brings them into a place of just enough. He said, Pastor Ray, what do you mean? He told the Israelites, every day, I'm going to rain down provision from heaven. And every day, I want you to collect just enough. If you collect more than what you need when you wake up the next morning, it'll be spoiled. And what God was teaching them was that he wanted to be their God of daily provision. Meaning, if you trusted me for it today, you can trust that tomorrow, listen, if you trusted me for it today and you ate it all and you consumed it all, trust me that when you step outside your house tomorrow, there will be supply. Are you listening to what I'm saying? God established that with the Israelites. And what he was teaching them is what Jesus taught the disciples to pray, give us this day our daily bread. I'm talking to somebody tomorrow who's worried. I'm talking to somebody right now who's worried about, Lord, where's it going to come from tomorrow? In the wilderness, God established that if you trusted me for it today, you can trust that tomorrow I will be your God of supply. And what he was teaching them was the lesson of gratitude in a land of just enough. I want you to hear it. He was teaching them the lesson of gratitude, being grateful for having just enough. Now, the problem is the Israelites, a whole lot, like a whole bunch of us, because Jesus was trying to teach them the lesson of gratitude in the midst of just enough. And guess what they did? They complained against God's provision. And the more they complained, the longer they stayed. Are y'all with me? In fact, so listen, they started complaining that God said, you know what, these people are getting on my nerves. I'm going to send them some meat. And so God sent them meat. He said, I'm going to send you so much meat that the meat is going to be coming out your teeth. 
I'm going to give you all the meat you want. But notice what the scripture says. But he sent leanness in their soul. Listen to me. God gave them meat, but they had leanness in their soul. Had everything they wanted materially, but they were still empty. Because they didn't learn the lesson of being grateful for just enough. Most of us think we will be fulfilled if we have more. But if you don't learn to be grateful for what you have, even when you have more, you're going to be thinking about the next house. Even after he moves you into a bigger building. It ain't going to be enough because you haven't learned the lesson of just enough. So the answer you're going to think is more. But when you get more, it's not going to be enough. You will still have leanness in your soul. So guess what God did? It took him 40 years. He got them out of Egypt in one day. It took him 40 years to get Egypt out of them. Listen to me. It's more than just getting out of the situation. God wants to get the situation out of you. So it took them 40 years in a place of just enough when the whole time God was saying, I've got a land waiting for you, a land flowing with milk and honey. You ain't ready for it, though. It's waiting for you. As soon as you learn to be grateful with just enough, ta-da! Here's the land of more than enough. Because God had gotten Egypt out of them. I mean, gotten them out of Egypt, but he still had to get Egypt out of them. How many realize that God will not allow you to possess Canaan with an Egypt mentality? Mm -hmm. God will not, cannot let you possess Canaan with an Egypt mentality. You think you're waiting on God. God said, I'm waiting on you. I'm not going to let you mismanage, I'm not going to let you mismanage Canaan with an ungrateful Egypt wilderness attitude. So as soon as you get it, as soon as you learn the lesson of being grateful for just enough, I know you can manage more than enough. So there's some of us this morning saying, God, when are you going to show up? God is saying, when are you going to get it? Are y'all with me? I'm just going off the dome this morning. This ain't in my notes. They asked me, Pastor Ray, where the notes last night? I said, I ain't got no notes. So if you're looking for notes on you version, I'm speaking from my heart this morning. I'm speaking from my heart this morning. Because that's what God wants us to seize. Listen to me. Listen to me. Uh, uh, people say, erroneously. Listen, what you don't know won't hurt you. Uh, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible said what you don't know is hurting you. That's why he said in Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6, he said, my people, my people, my covenant people, my sons and daughters are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. One translation says, my people, this is God, saying my sons and daughters are destroyed or they perish. For a lack of knowledge. Why are they perishing? Because they don't know. And what you don't know is hurting you. What you and I don't know about God's promise of an abundant life. 
and that I can expect that and not feel bad about it and not feel bad about it and not have any remorse for it and not be ashamed of God blessing my life. What God's people don't know is, where did it go? Let me tell you something. There have been denominations that have taught that poverty brings you closer to God. The devil is a liar. Listen, if you've ever been in a place, if you've ever, I ain't talking about the people who have always had it together. If you have ever been in a place, <laughs> come on somebody, where you had more months at the end of your money. Listen to me, I'm talking about when the money ran out on the 20th and you had bills to pay on the 30th. There is absolutely nothing that is godly about that. There is absolutely nothing that looks like God in that. There is absolutely nothing about a good father that would allow his children to go without so that they could be more appreciative of him. Let me tell you something. Poverty has never caused anybody to love God more. Y'all quiet on me. Never. Never. What you and I don't know. Listen to me. That it is the Father's good pleasure. Can you put Romans chapter 8 and verse 32 on the screen? Romans 8, 32. It is the Father's pleasure. It is his desire. It is his desire to allow us to win in life. The worship team sang it. You are my champion. Right? Giants fall. What's the rest of it? When you stand undefeated. And he went on to sing some of the other lyrics. But notice Romans 8.32. It says, he who did not spare his own son, talking about God, not sparing Jesus, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him, Jesus, also freely give us all things? That is the promise. And what God was saying is, if I didn't hold back Jesus, if I gave, already gave my very best gift in Jesus, will I withhold from you? Will I withhold anything that you need from me? If I didn't withhold Jesus, I want y'all to sink, I want that to sink in. If you were raggedy as you were, living foul, and I sent Jesus, my very best gift, is there anything I will withhold from you that will be beneficial to you? The answer is a resounding no. That's where God wants us to live. And this is where I close. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. This is where I'm going to close. Uh, let me read the rest of the text. And it said, let the earth bring forth 
the living creature according to his kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth, each according to its kind. And so it was. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And everything what God was doing was he was creating this pattern, not only of sufficiency and supply, but he was also creating this pattern, establishing this pattern where you and I should also be fruitful and multiply. Because everything that God gives us, he gives us in seed form. Sometimes the miracle you're asking God for doesn't show up fully formed or fully developed. Some of us miss the miracle because it shows up as a seed. And we say, well, I'm not going to do with all this seed. Well, I'll just, I'll just put it in the barn. And God said, no, <laughs> that's your miracle. And most of us don't see that God answers our prayers in seed form. And he gives us the ability to take the seed, to sow the seed. To multiply, to cultivate, to nurture the seed so that it can bear much fruit. Some of us right now have the seed of writing. Some of us here, listen to me, and again, all the religious folks, y'all don't stone me. But J.K. Rowling was a single mother on welfare teaching English in Portugal when she wrote the Harry Potter series on the back of napkins while sitting in a coffee shop. Is she? Come on, somebody. That's how she did it. That's how she did it. That's how she did it. From welfare to a multi-billion dollar author. Listen to me. Listen. I don't care where you stand on Harry Potter, whether it's this or that. But listen, the principle, the principle is that she was entrusted with a seed a character, a storyline that she developed and cultivated of Jeff Bezos. Have you seen the picture of where he started Amazon? Some of you have seen that picture. And all he wanted to do, all he wanted to do, just sell books and make books available and accessible to people. Now, 20, 30 years later, Everything rises and falls on Amazon. It was just a seed. People need to read more. And I'm going to make reading accessible and available. And I'm going to shift the platform and people are going to be able to read online. They're going to have a tablet and they're going to read online. Listen. Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime Video. Amazon Web Services started with a seed, an idea that one guy had that said, I just want people to read. I'm wondering this morning, what seed God has entrusted to you that has gone uncultivated? It's just sitting there. It is just sitting there. And God said, bruh, you've prayed. I've answered. And I've given you a seed. What you going to do with it? Because other people are, they're doing something. Did I say this is where I was going to close? It is. So, uh, hmm. uh, okay, here it is. Joshua 1.8, and that's where I'm going to close. Joshua 1.8. 
So God brings the Israelites across the border into the promised land. Joshua has been walking with Moses, and he is Moses' second in command. But at this point in Joshua chapter 1, and we'll probably back it up to, to verse 1. Joshua chapter 1, we'll back it up to verse 1. At this point, Moses is dead. And the people have been mourning Moses' death. Because Moses was the one, rightly so, who was supposed to bring them into the promised land. I don't know if you've ever experienced disruption in your life. Where you thought God was going to do it one way. And that one way, all of a sudden, is gone. That's what was happening with, with the Israelites and with Moses. So naturally, they're disheartened. I thought it was going to happen this way. I thought my husband and I were going to do this. My wife and I were going to do this. My, my children and I were going to do this. And all of a sudden, the disruption. And so God has to appear to Moses. I mean, has to appear to Joshua and help him deal with the disruptions that could have paralyzed him. I'm talking about the disruptions that paralyze. That stop us in our tracks. So here's Joshua responsible for two million people. Leadership has shifted. It's like, man, I wish Moses were here to help me with this. Anybody ever been there? When you feel inadequate for the task? And so God shows up to assure Joshua, and I'll just read through this quickly. Verse 1, it says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Ooh, let me just stop right there. Before Joshua ever had the opportunity to lead Israel, he had first served Moses. For those of you who got dreams but don't want to serve nobody, for those of you who got dreams and you think the dream is now and I'm ready and I'm smart and, I, and you just jump out there and you notice Joshua had served Moses first. And the scripture says in Luke chapter 16, how will, give, how will God give you what is your own if you have not been faithful in what belongs to another man? Go read it, Luke chapter 16. So the only reason Joshua is here is because he's been faithful to Moses. God didn't just pick some random person. He picked the one who had shown himself faithful. And then it goes on. It says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, and you and all this people so the land to the, into the land which I'm giving to them, the children of Israel. I just like how God is really blunt. Said Joshua, Moses dead. You know, I, I, God saying it, the way I hear God saying it, it's almost like that kid doing that word problem. Say, Jada broke. Y'all see that word problem? Jalen has one dollar, two quarters, and three pennies. How much does Jaden have? Jaden broke. <laughs> That's how God is saying this. Moses did. Matter of fact, now you do something about it. And so God's assuring him, that every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. Come on, somebody. Receive the promise. 
And then he goes on, as I said to Moses, I made this promise to Moses, but now I'm transferring it to you. Everywhere the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. Past tense. You haven't stepped into it yet, but I've already given it to you. It's already yours. It is already yours. And then he goes on to say, uh, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. He says, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you, not forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. Listen, be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and courageous. Notice he's saying it again. Because God is saying that opportunities attract opposition. He said, I've already given you the land, but be strong and courageous. God wouldn't say be strong and courageous if there wasn't something to be strong and courageous about. So God's word to you this morning is the dream is real, but be strong and be courageous. And he says, only be strong and very courageous. Look, look at that. Third time. Third time in only a few verses. He says, be strong and very courageous. Do according to the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to your right hand or to your left, that you may prosper. That you may prosper. That you would have success on your journey. Here it is, verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. This book of the law. He's giving him the secret to success. He's telling him how to get Egypt out of him. Uh, this book of the law. The reason we're doing our daily Bible reading is so that this book of the law will not depart from our mouths. Listen, it says, but you shall meditate in it day and night. That you may observe to do all that is written in it. Notice the last part. For then, God will make your way prosperous. And then God will give you good success. No, it says, for then you, for then you, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. May I just submit to you that God has already done everything that he will ever do. And now it's up to you and me to take the word of God, to take the word of God, the seed of God's word. In our mouth, on our lips, meditating on it, thinking on the word, speaking the word, living the word according to God's principles. And then, and then we will have, listen, we will be prosperous, success on our journey. And notice what it says, and then you will have good success because not all success is good. Not all success is good. A success that destroys families, that destroys the individual, that hurts and harms people. That ain't the kind of success God's talking about here. He said you will have good success. Because the blessing of the Lord makes rich. And God adds no sorrow to it. Last verse and then I'm out of your way. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 8. I promise you first time guest. This is my last verse. People who've been here, they know better. No, I'm just teasing. This is the last verse. Is this helping anybody? 
2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8. God wants us to win. And he established that on the fifth day. He wants us to experience the abundant life. And he expressed it in how he created and in what he created. And notice God speaking again in superlatives. Verse 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8. It says, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you. That you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Listen, this is the biblical definition of what it looks like to prosper in God's sight. Let's look at it again. And God is able to make all grace. Somebody say it's not about the money. Most people think it's money. But the scriptures say all grace. All grace means anything and everything you need when you need it. God is able to make all grace. He's able to empower you. He is able to uh, enable you. He's able to make all grace. Notice what it says, abound, that the grace of God can abound toward you. Not just a little bit of grace, abounding grace. Why? Notice the words, that you always, not some of the time, not every now and then, but that you and I always, having what? All sufficiency. What? In all things. May have what? And a abundance for every good work. That's where God wants us to live. So when Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly, that's what he was saying. He said, I came and I died to give you all the grace that you need so that you will have all sufficiency in all things so that you can abound unto every good work. That means when I need you to do something, you ain't even got to think twice about it. When I need you to go help so-and-so, you ain't even got to think twice about it. When I need you to stroke that check, you ain't got to think twice about it. When I need you to quit that job because I got something else for you to do, you ain't got to think twice about it. Because I have already, already given you all the grace you need for every good work. Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name. We ask you, Father, to help us. Create on the inside of us a vision beyond where we have been living. This is not a prosperity gospel or a material gospel. This is a gospel that simply says, God, you have dreamed of a life where are you, your children, have what they need in order to do what you're calling us to do. Lord, help us to recognize the seed that you've entrusted to us, the ideas, the creativity, the solutions that you've entrusted to us, the things that you have given us in seed form, God, that we would be faithful to take those things, to cultivate them, because you are making your grace abound toward us. 
Lord, I pray Psalm 1 and verse 1 over everyone under the sound of my voice this morning. You said that we would be like trees planted by rivers of living water. That our leaf would not fade, nor would it wither. That we would bring forth our fruit in season. And everything we set our hands to would prosper. That it would be successful. Lord, I pray that you would elevate our thinking Elevate our faith to receive the promise. God, you promised it. This is not something that we're coming up with. We just simply open our hearts to receive what you've already promised in Jesus' name. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor Ray, I heard everything you said. But I don't know this man, Jesus. I maybe have heard of him, but I've never had a personal encounter with him. If that's you this morning. And you've never crossed the line of faith. You've never invited Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to give you that opportunity this morning, right now in this moment, to invite this Jesus who loves us with an everlasting love into your life. If that's you, just slip up your hand. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to pray for you. Thank you, Father. I see two hands right here. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Is there anyone else? I see two hands. Is there anyone else? You say, today I cross the line of faith. I make Jesus my Lord, my Savior. Amen. Converge, let's pray together. And let's thank God for these two, come on somebody, that are entering the kingdom today. Pray this prayer with me all together and especially these two from your heart as you invite Jesus to be Lord of your life. Say this with me, Heavenly Father, I come to you now in Jesus' name. Jesus, I thank you that you died on the cross for my sins. I acknowledge that I have sinned. And come short of your glory. I ask you now. I invite you now. To forgive me of all my sin. And make me new. In Jesus name. Heavenly Father. I thank you that I am forgiven. I thank you that I am a child of God. Old things have passed away. And all things have become new in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Well, you're blessed this morning. Amen. Praise the Lord. We hope that you enjoyed today's message. Remember to stay connected with us on our website, weareconverge.com, or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at weareconverge. You can also partner with us financially by giving safely and securely online at weareconverge.com backslash give. Thank you and God bless.